¿Qué tal amigos? Welcome to the Hello Latino podcast. I'm Odalis Jasmine and I'm excited to welcome Giselle Castro, a Puerto Rican woman leading Exalt Youth, which is an NYC organization focused on re-engaging youth and educating them on topics like the school to prison pipeline. Exalt also exposes students to innovation, great people, and work experience, something incarceration shelters them from. In this episode, Giselle walks us through her Puerto Rican culture, NYC upbringing, and tells us why she's dedicated her life's work to creating and leading organizations focused on equity and justice for court-involved youth. Connect with Giselle on Twitter at GiselleCastro underscore EY and find her on LinkedIn. Also connect with Exalt Youth on IG at Exalt Youth NYC and visit their website, exaltyouth.org. Oh my God. I'm so, first of all, it's an honor to have this conversation with you. I know we've met before, but this is really exciting because I think it's a timely topic and you're a badass Latina woman who is, you know, making such a difference in this world. So I want to start by, you know, the, the number one question that I think a lot of people go through, right? When they're going through life, when they're a Latina navigating Latinidad in America, you're a first gen immigrant. The same question always kind of comes to mind, and it's how you identify. Mm-hmm. So I want to start with that question. How do you identify and why? Well, thank you, Odalis. Um, it's nice to be here and to see you again and to have this mm-hmm. conversation. I identify as a Puerto Rican woman um, in New York City. <laughs> Yeah. And and you were born in Puerto Rico or were you born in New York? So talk a little bit about that so story. I was born, I was born and raised here in New York City. Uh, my parents, they came to New York City at the age my mother when she was uh, four, when she was 14 and my dad was 16. And this is how we started our journey. We came in into uh, the Bronx um, at an early age and the entire family, everyone who came from Puerto Rico, from the island, they took on different places. So they went to Connecticut, to California, uh, to the Bronx. And that's why, you know, I say so quickly, Puerto Rican, but Puerto Rican from New York City. <laughs> Puerto Rican from New York City. And let's let's kind of talk about your your story, your your journey. We're going to touch on what you're doing now and all the amazing things that you are doing for the community. But I really want to dig deep in who who Giselle is and where you come from. And we can dig deep in your cultura, your Latinidad. But start from the beginning, the you know, where you grew up and and to kind of where you are now and talk about your your Puerto Rican roots. Sure. So, you know, in terms of, you know, my family. And when we had a moment to speak, we're talking about families, we're talking about our culture. And I was born and raised in the Bronx, um, St. Lawrence area. And we, you know, the family, you know, they bought houses, you know, early on. We lived on one side of Taylor Avenue. There was the sixth train, the sixth line. And then the other side was my grandmother and um, her um, oldest son and his family. You know, so essentially we had a really good, good, um, I would say the family foundation. And one thing that I quickly learned about, you know, my experience, you know, especially as a Puerto Rican um, young woman, particularly in the Bronx, is that, you know, environment does matter, apparently. 
I learned at an early age, you know, what we're talking about now in terms of systemic or structural racism. I got to experience that you know, firsthand. Um, I got to see the challenges that a lot of the men in my family experienced, um, you know, particularly my older brother, who at an early age, at the age of 14, was shot. Um, although he was in a class of, you know, honors, you know, you, you couldn't really control what was happening in the 90s in that era. It's a lot of violence in New York City. And, you know, I got to see how we were able to not just weather so many different um, challenges, but it was um, my growing up really was, um, I would say, one of the most powerful learning experiences. I asked a lot of questions. I wanted to be a journalist at the age of seven. It's one of the things that my parents always did. When we were home, we would come home from school and quickly go to my grandmother's house. She was typically cooking. And we, being the children, we had to do our homework. When my mom used to get home, she would put on the news just to make sure that she understood what was happening. And I remember that that was the first time that I wanted to, you know, become a journalist. Uh, for this reason, to that was that I needed to, ex- I wanted to experiment. I wanted to learn more. Uh, but I'll stop there because I think that you probably want to ask a little bit more questions, more deeply about the who I am. Yeah, well, you don't have to stop there at all. You can definitely go deeper. Um, I know there's a lot to that, and. I feel like it all leads back to you creating in the 90s, Exalt Youth, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, talk about that. Talk about the connection of you growing up in your environment and what inspired you and why you began the work that you're doing now. Uh, So, you know, as I said early on, you know, one of the most pivotal, pivotal moment was um, understanding that there was always a disconnect, you know, by what was happening in my home with my family. Um, You know, I will describe those Sunday dinners. Uh, You know, the entire family used to come together. My uncles used to play, you know, the guitar that was singing classical music. There's a lot of actually poetry readings, a lot of recitals, a lot of rich things happening. So a lot of different foods that we were eating. And then Mm -hmm. there was this other confrontation of what was happening in our school's what was happening in our world, juvenile justice system and this aspect of, you know, of, you know, what we call now like transforming the juvenile justice system didn't really exist. So although I wanted to become a journalist, I understood that I had to take a path, you know, to correct certain things that were occurring that I got to see so intimately. Um, I went to John Jay College. And I got to learn forensic, you know, psychology, and I started to work very quickly in my early 20s at uh, Cases, which is the oldest alternative to incarceration program. My first uh, boss, my first supervisor, she's currently the commissioner of the Department of Probation. She's a Puerto Rican woman. And through her, I got to see, um, you know, multiple, multiple um, injustices. I remember going into the family court system and seeing that many of our young people um, at the age of 13, 14 were being remanded, which means they were being sent back to their detention facility because they were not, um, you know, going to school. However, no one was asking the question, 
um, is it that they didn't like learning or is it that the school was not a place for them? So very quickly, mm-hmm. I began to understand that in order for us to make great success, we had to create an organization that was culturally responsive, a curriculum that was culturally relevant, uh, because we are always interfacing, you know, what is our experience in our homes mm-hmm. and then what um, happens to us when we are engaged in certain neighborhoods that do not have the proper resources. And then also when you're engaged in schools and institutions that do not have the proper resources or are not equipped you know, to help a young person through. I mean, we have all of the statistics that says that it's, it's typically young um, Black and Latino men who are incarcerated. But if you look now to 2020, we're seeing a growing number of young women who are impacted in the criminal justice and the juvenile justice system. So I would give a very mm. quick, brief overview of Exalt for anyone listening. You know, just you know, check us out on our website. You will have a better, you know, comprehensive overview. But essentially, we focus on three pillars, which is moving our young people away from the criminal justice system. And I have to explain a little bit about that. We help our young people make substantial changes where then we can report to the courts and to the judges how our youth are doing. And it has been a privilege to see over the years that judges are vacating felony cases um, or reducing a felony to a misdemeanor. That's significant. When we understand mm-hmm. the criminal justice system, the education system, the career, they're all interrelated. And if mm-hmm. you have to address all of them in tandem to get someone out of the juvenile or the criminal justice system. And then, of course, you know, for all of us who understand this, if a young person has a criminal conviction, they're not eligible for financial aid. So if you're trying to address the cycle of poverty and literally advancing a family forward, you know, we believe that education is the practice of freedom. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, you know, when it comes to employability, any teenager, just like myself when I was young, you know, wanting to become a journalist at the age of seven, um, you know, they need to have that exploration. But more importantly, more specifically, the resources and the access. Because what tends to happen to a lot of our families and our communities is that we don't pick and we don't choose the career or the path that really is innate to us. You know, we get Mm -hmm. to select, um, or a lot of us do, um, you know, career path where we're changing and effectuating change and hopefully creating a better um, life for um, the next generation. And then, of course, we understand this with our young people, which I saw it and I saw it with my brother and I give him as an example. You know, when I said that he was in... um, you know, always selected as the smartest young person. It's not that he didn't like learning. It's that the school system was not prepared, uh, you know, for him. If we know our schools in New York City, it is still true that our young people, they go through metal detectors. You know, this is big questions. Why do they have to go through metal detectors? Who is afraid of them? What happens? Then when we look at Exalt, you know, it was very, very deliberate, very disciplined, then we get to see those same young people who fit a profile who should probably be detained or incarcerated. 95% of our young people are making substantial advancement academically. They're graduating mm-hmm. high school. They're going off to college. They have the mm-hmm. best career ex- you know, experiences. They have their case um, vacated. They're not entering our criminal justice system. 
So when we, meaning myself or, you know, Excel, when we begin to examine our work, we're bringing an aspect of who we are. And I think that that becomes essential when we say that it's culturally competent. So with that, I'd love to pivot into our cafecito and cheese portion. You know, our family, this is how we grew up, right? Doing the cafecito. For me, it's like the semita, el pan dulce, you know, and like just chatting. Y escuchando mis, mi mamá con su amiga, it's just like talking about todo el chisme, talking about life. And so for me, this is my favorite segment because it just brings me back to like those moments, those really intimate moments growing up. And I know you can probably relate. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I was uh, um, sharing with my sister um, who lives in Florida, those wonderful, wonderful moments when you you sit at the table. Well, when I was young and I was sitting at the table and I was listening to my mother, my aunts, my grandmother, you speak, they were always resolving like complex issues. Mm -hmm. And I would say that now as I'm older, I think that I got a lot of my leadership skills from them. Um, you know, there were strategists, they were always solving, there was always laughter, you know, like things were resolved, you know, always with a laughter. And mm-hmm. you know, this, uh, and then food, you know, cafecito, uh, we would have coffee early in the morning, which I was introduced to coffee young. Um, oh, same. I feel like we're, we, we're out of the womb and we start drinking cafecito. <laughs> oh, see. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> And at three o'clock, you know, which, uh, you know, for a lot of people, you know, that's the time where they're probably taking a break or assist, assist um, or a nap, who knows who's napping. But essentially, mm-hmm. it's the moment to pause. And I think that, you know, one of the beauty of our um, cultures, you know, in being Latinas is that there's so much richness to us, you know, whether it's through the food, whether it is through music, whether it's through dance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a very creative spirit and oh, yeah. you begin to see a lot of that when you have that moment of, you know, like breaking bread with someone. And then mm-hmm. so quickly you could enter that space of, you know, intimacy, which is powerful, which, you know, in it's super powerful. Yeah. And one thing you said, a couple of things that I want to quickly touch on, but leadership, you know, you said like, you got a lot of your leadership skills from from that, from your mother, from, was it your mother, your grandmother? Um, <laughs> from all, I, I would say from, from all, all. From, my, from my grandmother, from my mother, from my aunt. Yeah. Just, just to think about uh, like a lot of, like a lot of things, you know, what at this point, you know, my mom, um, you know, is a minister and, you know, when I see her handle COVID, and I see that she has like these world prayers and people from around the world are calling her and, you know, and they're doctors and they're, you know, nurses and they are leaders like myself, you know, mm-hmm. asking for some guidance. Well, her practice happened in the family, I would say. Um, and mm-hmm. it's not just her children. It is with the entire family. You know, we really look at a family as a large community, you know, we're thinking about, you know, of course, everyone has free will. Of course, everyone has to, you know, participate in their life however they want. But there is this sense that what I do will potentially impact you. And do mm-hmm. I know well enough, you know, to make decisions that is going to advance, you know, all of us. And there is that discipline, you know, and I get to see it, you know, once again, you know, like through um, COVID, but 
particularly, you know, at Exalt, when I came in, um, I was, you know, on the board, I was board chair, I was one, I work with the founder, you know, I know this organization so well, but we were at a point where we had to grow, we had to scale. And I quickly understood I couldn't do this in isolation. We really had to understand where was the juvenile justice system going at that at that point in time? How was it being transformed? Who were the key people involved, the judges who typically hold the keys to freedom? How do we work with them? How do we work with the DAs? How do we work with the defense attorneys? How do we work with the teachers to school principals? How do we work with our young people, um, their families? But then also more importantly, how do I develop my staff? How do I ensure that they become emerging you know, leaders and strong leaders so that they could carry on such a huge, huge and massive responsibility? So as I said before, when we look at system, the education system, the criminal justice system, and employment, mm-hmm. there is, is so nuanced, right? And then you add what I do and which I love to do is raise money, um, you know, which is sustainability, which is ensuring that the organization sustain itself for many, many years to come. Well, a lot of those strategies, of course, you learn it through the formal education, but there was a lot of the nuances that I was picking up, you know, as you're saying, you know, sentada en la mesa, tomando mi uh-huh. cafecito, you know, um, aprendiendo, <laughs> you know, descanso. Mm-hmm. descanso. Um, you know, otra cosa that I learned, you know, from them, like when to speak and when not to speak. When do you really mm-hmm. best? When do you take a step back and you realize I have to really, really assess the situation? And also in terms of leadership, you know, the one thing that I really understood is that you're responsible. You know, that mm-hmm. you are really responsible. If you make a decision, understand that you are the one who made it, you're responsible. And that you mm-hmm. have to really understand the complexities of so much. And, you know, of course, um, you know, at Exalt, I was able to um, work under that, you know, um, idea or that premise, you know, early on, how to grow an organization, and then also how to adapt the model that we have into a virtual platform. Um, you know, we have our internships, oh, right. we have to like really think through carefully, how do we turn, you know, uh, real life experiences into a virtual platform? One of our tenants mm-hmm. of exalts to humanize, and that comes through over and over and over again. We get to hear our young people say, I had no idea that I would have so much fun. I had no idea that I would connect. I had no idea that I would make friends. When you think about that connection, and then if we understand that there's so many people, especially young people who are feeling overwhelmed by this pandemic, um, yeah. if we get to see that the suicide rate for youth, you know, has gone up, up substantially, you know, in the past few months, uh, you know, Since we have, started? yeah, you know, we um, have, to, we have to pay very close attention, you know, to mm-hmm. uh, how do we build community? How do we create, um, you know, a system where, although virtual, uh, you know, where our humanity is not lost. And especially for young people who are developing, that they are exploring, that they are in that discovery phase as they should be mm-hmm. uh, as adults. Um, and that's what I learned at that table. How do we, how are we creating that environment for them so that yeah. they can sell? Yeah, and, and also just have those conversations. Mm-hmm. I remember I felt so like, special when I was finally invited to the table con los adultos tomando café because they would you're right they would 
kind of talk about these really complex stuff like yeah el chisme estoy la fulana whatever but mm-hmm. it's also more than that like they talk mm-hmm. about real life things like relationships and you know like their past because all of them had a past they're all immigrants you know like they just talk about life and that's really where I think I fell in love with stories kind of similar to you you found your leadership skills that's where I figured like stories are powerful yeah and stories can, and like bringing people to the table and that's what I love what you do with exalt youth is you're really you're so deliberate with everything that you do and so I want to ask a quick question because I'm just curious how old are your students typically uh 15 through 19 uh, but the average age is 16 we're seeing a lot mm-hmm. of women um young girls um, unfortunately the age of 15 you know coming in you know, which, which begs a sets of question, you know, in 2020, yeah. why do we have so many young women coming into the system? The other thing mm-hmm. is that we have an alumni component and they stay with us. You know, so there oh. are, so we have, you know, some graduates who are now 25 years old, uh, you know, they're doing well, you know, they're acting as mentor. Uh, we have hired, you know, some of our graduates as well in the organization. So we get wow. to see that we form a solid um, you know, community or a really strong organization. However, our young people, they understand the power of making a difference. You know, if you look at our curriculum carefully, there's always this question, you know, or at least we give them a lot of information. Um, you know, for instance, week one is the school to prison pipeline. Week two of their class um, cycle is uh, mass incarceration, but there's this powerful question, how is it that they reverse that? How is it that they make advancements, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then how is it that they um, share that? How is it that they impact their community? Right now, you know, the other area which I'm so proud to share is that the number one referral um, is young people who graduate. So they refer their friends. Um, and that's powerful because mm-hmm. teens do not like to be Call it, you know, using that um, the table as a, as a symbol, as a, yeah. at the table, unless if they understand what is there for them, you know, like what is the mm-hmm. game. I also think, which I'm noticing like over the years, you know, that a lot of us, you know, we don't have a lot of, you know, money in our families. So in terms of inheritance, you know, what a lot of, uh, you know, our families, you know, they give is that power of knowledge, is the power of storytelling. It's forming mm-hmm. us our identity. And, yep. you know, I'm speaking with you, but if anyone is listening, you know, to our conversation, to whoever it is listening, it's making sure that we understand like what we are inheriting because we become benefactors of the hard work that our family has endured over years. And then we have like, the constant, I would say, you know, for some is a challenge, for some is an experience, uh, you know, of always, always, always having your identity, uh, you know, challenge or seeing that you're changing, which is fine and it's beautiful. But if we lose so much, like la mesa, el cafecito, mm-hmm. which at this point now with COVID, we probably have time to do that, but we probably yeah. have to have, you know, do it through Zoom. So it's not in person. Uh, mm-hmm. What are we leaving? You know, what is that legacy that we're leaving behind um, to ensure that generations to come or our young people, you know, as I said before, you know, most of our youth, you know, they're Black and Latino, particularly Puerto Rican. If we're giving them something, what is that? 
So it is history. It is storytelling. It's giving them the power to understand that they change it and making them excited about life. And I would say that that was one of the most beautiful things or is one of the most beautiful things that my family has given um, us is to be excited, is to be passionate about life, is to enjoy it, is to love it. And then we get to see it in COVID. I think that it's the reminder uh, that we come here once. So if you have a go, do it well, enjoy it, enjoy life as best as you can. Make your contribution, whatever that contribution is, but make sure that you're bringing someone with you along this journey. Mm, Yes. And you know, you're so right about, I mean, everything, but one thing is like my, I've told you this before and I think I tell everyone, but one thing that my dad always told me is, you know, sabes donde Donde vienes, nunca sabrás donde vas. Mm-hmm. And it's so true, right? Like if we don't know where we come from, like we're not going to know mm-hmm. where we're going to go. And so that, you know, I think that's a very powerful statement that you you talk about the storytelling that our families have passed down, the knowledge, the passion, all of it. Mm-hmm. And we're so rich in all those things, even though we're not, you know, monetary wise rich per se. But we have so many other things that make us so powerful. And tapping into that is like game changer. I'll see. And, and, and I'll, you know, if I could leave, you know, another comment, you know, we value every single young person as a single young person. Their identity, the who they are as an individual matters. Their culture matters a lot. But yeah. what we see is that for the first time ever, they're hearing about their culture. They're hearing about their history. And what this great country does is that is that it strips us from our culture. It puts us in boxes. It does not honor like who we are, where we come from. You know, so I'm so proud of you. Congratulations, and you know, bringing in so many different Latinos because it's important that we tell, um, you know, our story and that we are proud. You know, where we come from, um, because yeah. you know, when we think about this, a lot of people don't know about the island of Puerto Rico. And the question is like, why, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Why is it that a lot of people don't know about Honduras? And I think that when we have this conversation offline, all of a sudden we're all one and we're not. And I think that that strips us from, you know, our power. But the collective we, you know, when I think about the mosaic of the collective, all of us, that's beautiful and that's powerful, and mm-hmm. I hope that one day in this, you know, country, you know, which we have so many groups of people that we could celebrate all of us, our journey, our history, but more importantly, you know, create this powerful collective um, where yeah. we don't have to say, I now have to change completely in order to fit in. Um, mm-hmm. That is what we tell our young people. We humanize them and we tell them their identity, who they are, matters. It's significant because it is you who are traveling through this journey. It is you who are navigating through the biggest systems, you know, for them, juvenile justice, education, employability. Well, you have to be strong in you in order to weather what I said earlier on structural, um, you know, racist systems. There are not mm-hmm. trying to support and to help and to advance. But then the beauty is, you know, when you look at, you know, our organization that's culturally relevant, our cultures has that power to advance us forward. Um, and yeah. also 
um, I get to see the magic behind it. And that's yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I have a question because I was thinking about this as you were talking about exalt youth, but how are you, you know, they're, they're about 15 to 19. How are you, you know, educating them on these very macro level, you know, like really heavy systemic issues. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, how do they react when they, when they learn about these things? Because it's not, it's something that is our reality sometimes, especially for black and brown youth. Mm-hmm. And then when learning about it, because one thing I love that you do is that you are teaching them about the system so they can change the system, right? So how how do you do that? How do you ch- how do you teach them those macro things, and how do they kind of react to those? That's a great question, and I would invite you know um, folks you know to if they ever want to sit in a class. Uh, but the curriculum is deliberate. You know, it has been tested you know for many years. But the school supervision pipeline, you know, it starts off with a question. How many young people you think drop out of the United States on any given day? We start to get data. You know, we follow, um, you know, Paulo Fieri, the pedagogy of the oppressed. That those that you believe that are oppressed, they have the answer. Um, and it is the Socratic method of teaching, which is that the teacher, although they know a lot, they're not the absolute scholar. The young person is. Mm-hmm. And when you have that framework, you, you are essentially entering a dialogue. So when we go through the school to prison pipeline, even though there are federal policies, state policy, you know, citywide, you know, policies all related to the school to prison pipeline, you know, our young people don't have that background knowledge. You know, typically they don't. Uh, but but yeah. what they do know is they go into a school where there are metal detectors. What they do know is that their school are not equipped. Then we bombard them with data. And then we ask them, how is it that mm-hmm. you begin to solve? With, you know, the second week, uh, mass incarceration, you know, we start off with the question, what, con- what country you believe leads um, in mass incarceration? The U.S. typically makes number three, but never number one, right? Because that's too mm-hmm. close, that's too intimate. Um, and then they begin to share, you know, their stories and the struggle. Well, then we tie it into, um, if we look at slavery, we understand this country, we understand the fabric. Right. So we want to educate. We want to empower them. And they are brilliant minds. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they begin to see in order to get out of the system, I have to understand its history. I need to understand where these policies come from. I need to understand that I have a huge role to get out of the system. I have to understand that my community has a lot of richness, has a lot of great um, you know, things However, it's under-resourced. Um, mm-hmm. And then they go into, you know, becoming board members. Uh, there's, an, there's a class where we ask them to understand an organization, the complexities, even before they enter an internship. Uh, they get to be Shark Tank, um, you know, um, <laughs> you know um, judges. They get to see their classmates, you know, produce really clever ideas. Once again, what we're showing them to tackle the school to prison pipeline, it is that they're smart, that they're brilliant. And then they get to see the correlation. Oh, I get to see that I'm really smart. I understand the school to prison pipeline. And so how do we translate that when you're in school? Remember when you walk into those doors with those metal detectors, who you are, you're a brilliant person. And you have been demonstrating it over and over and over. And it is like all of us, you know, there comes a certain time in our life where we're 
confronted with something that is debilitating or can be debilitating. And you have a choice. You know, you really have a choice to say, all right, this is now going to be the blow that is going to knock me out. Or this is the thing that I'm going to investigate and I'm going to change. And that is how we empower our young people. They are change agents. Um, They will have a thriving life. And, you know, when you operate from that lens and under that premise, although the facts are scary, it gives someone that courage. That is what we call igniting or that um, motivation. It's like you ignite. It's like, I believe that I can make a difference. And we get to see it. And our data begins to show us, you know, that time over time over time, you just have to be, as you said, so deliberate, so intentional. And uh, that passion probably shines through too. like learning about all these things. It's the cultural passion, right? That we're so it's so innate in us that mm -hmm. probably comes out in your students when they hear about all these big facts and macro things that are really affecting them and their communities. They're probably like, I want to make a change. (laughs) And they do. And and they do. And, you know, every class is a different class. Every young person is a different young person. You know, you ask them to solve you know, something complex. They come up with the, you know, the best, you know, ideas and, you know, and, and they have courage. You know, the one thing that we can never forget is that our young people, if they are bombarded with so many challenges and they're able to move through a lot, um, you mm-hmm. think about how much more can you give them? You know, how do you offer mm-hmm. that, you know, some of the debilitating factors and you give them more? And, and then, of course, we understand this, you know, a loving, nurturing environment um, matters a lot, you know, so then, you know, we staff the organization, you know, although we don't tell our young people that we love them, they get to feel it. You know, our space is a thriving learning environment. You know, our board members, you know, they have, you know, the same intention. Everyone who touches the organization, like understands that we're moving our young people forward. We're moving generations forward. So then we understand you know, that is not just one person doing it. There is a collective we. There is a group of people understanding that if we're going to change um, anything, we're responsible. And I say this yeah. a lot. It is our moral responsibility. It is our obligation. It falls on us. And then once again, you get to see that these are probably the same conversations that you were hearing with the cafecito. You know, although yeah. estaba rico y bueno, at a certain point, you know how it goes, you know, pero te voy a decir, you know, like what you have to do and how do you have to move forward? There goes mm-hmm. accountability, there goes responsibility, there goes the strategy, there goes the thinking. Uh-huh. And then there is to say, how do we advance all of us? And then how do we, you know, change topic, right? Because when we go back to the coffee table, we don't want to come back with the same topic because it will be boring. No one will be at the coffee table. We want the other topic. Oh, I love that it all goes back to the way you were raised and going back to that leadership and how you saw it growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's really important because typically we don't really look at our families as those leaders because we're so close to us, but like stepping out and stepping away and seeing it from an outside lens, like they are the leaders in our lives. They made a huge influence in the way that we operate and navigate the world. Mm-hmm. So I love that you keep that so close to you, your ancestors, your families, you you keep it and you lead with it. I think that's super inspiring, powerful, all of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and thank you so much, because I think that, you know, what I have noticed is that 
when 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 it comes to you know leadership, there is like no culturally you know competent like leadership manual or course. And you know, this is the first you know few years that I have been like fully aware that my um, very specific people have shaped me. They have been you know the elders in my family, and there are no books you know written on them. If you look at my um, grandmother, you know from my um, mother's side. Um, you know, she had, you know, Taino Indian features, you know, however, I've never met a Taino Indian anywhere, right? Uh, you know, so staying true to who you are, knowing as much as you can. The other thing that I would say is keep learning about who you are because um, every stage in your life changes you depending mm-hmm. on your experiences. And that is also beautiful, you know, as well. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And I want to touch on one thing that I think is very important that people should know about Exalt is that it's led by its representation. It's led by people of color. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you want to touch on that. I think that's just amazing that it's, you know, it's people who I think one thing that I always lacked in school and a lot of people that were, you know, kind of raised in low income areas, we didn't have representation mm-hmm. in, in our teachers. You know, they didn't look like us. And we would be so happy when it was like a Latino was one of our teachers. Like we literally, Mr. Valadez, I still think about him. He was my only Latino teacher in all of K through eight. And it was a big deal. And so I think like what you're doing with Exalt and having the leadership be, you know, people of color, I think that's powerful. It is, it is powerful because the young people who are coming in, you know, um, they're, you know, they're black, they're Latinos, they're coming in. And it is important, you know, that they understand that they could go anywhere they want in life. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is so true, you know, typically, you know, especially in the education system, we don't have, you know, true representation, or at least uh, in a lot of places. And, mm-hmm. you know, our young people can't really see themselves. And I think that that is critical. I think that's very important. If you go to exalt our organization, we have no rules in our um, you know, offices, you go to other organizations that is not led by people of color. That's what typically happens. Lots of rules. What are rules? It's like, I think this is the order. I think this is how we should be coexisting and, you know, navigating Mm -hmm. and understanding, you know, how we're going to work. However, you have a strong structure and you have a lot of people that looks like our youth modeling it. All of a sudden, you think about that sanction, that punitive mm-hmm. idea is gone. What is left? Like this aspect of freedom and liberation. Um, you know, so when you're people of color, you understand that. Like you really understand that there's not a lot of spaces where young people have their minds like freed up. And if you and you and what you said is so true, it has happened to me too. You know, when I had, you know, um, one of my first, you know, Latina teachers, the biggest deal, you know, it's like we have to celebrate that. But then what does that mean to that young person, to that psyche? It's like there's only one. Think about this. It's like there's a lot of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there's a different accountability there, you know, which is it's like we're all advancing, uh, you know, our community forward. And then there goes like the magic. And then now, you know, there's a lot of research that supports, um, there's evidence that supports, you know, that young people who have, you know, teachers that look like them, you know, they make substantial advancement. Well, I think that we understand why, right? We don't really have to explain it. 
but our young people, they always are impressed. That first day that they have the interview, they walk in through the office and they get to see us. This is what begins to happen, right? It's like <laughs> they, they show up differently. They're listening in a very different way. They're paying attention. They want to have the answer um, and they want to make a difference. And, you know, it's important. It's critical, you know, to all of us. And, you know, of course, you know, that too was intentional. That too was deliberate. Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of our community just wants and needs a space to be heard, a space to have these conversations. And what happens a lot that I've seen, that I've heard of, that I've personally experienced is growing up, you don't always feel that when you are leaving your home, going back to what you said at the beginning, right? There's so much richness at home. There's so many, so many things, the rich food, the dance, mm -hmm. el baile, like all of it. Mm -hmm. And then you leave and then it just feels like a whole different world that you have to navigate, right? And you're just like, I remember I would cry to go to school. I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I would like cry every single day. I was like, I just want to stay home. And, you know, once I got to college, that's when I started really loving school because I was finally in a space where I felt like I was seen, I was being heard, I can have an opinion. And I was like, asked what my opinion was. But I it's powerful that. that you're doing, right? Because we just want to be heard. Right. We want to be seen. Right. And I and love doing what, what you're saying is exactly, you know, what how we um, lead, you know, the organization lead our young people. You know, which is um, if you feel that you belong, um, all of a sudden you realize, I love learning, right? Mm -hmm. and it is the system. It is the environment. It's not necessarily that you go through a metal detector. It could be that the environment that you could really thrive. And then I love, you know, what you just said, um, you know, that you felt uh, that you're being prepared, you know, to navigate. Well, that's what we're doing with our young people in places that they don't want to be in, like navigating the criminal justice system, yeah. navigating their schools. Like once again, it's not the institution for learning. It's their schools that typically has a lot of, you know, other barriers. And then, you know, that place of discovery, you know, going into their internships. I mean, I remember my first internship, you're nervous, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, I don't really know how am I going to do this intern thing? And then mm -hmm. um, they get it, you know, by week three, week four, and they begin to feel like a professional. And then all of a sudden they begin to assess, our young people begin to assess, where do they want to go? Um, and that's, you know, one of the questions that we ask them, where do you see yourself in five years? Day one, um, not immediately, but the first sets of questions that we ask them is, where do you see yourself in five years? They typically say, our youth, unfortunately, um, either dead or incarcerated. And then we ask mm -hmm. them as they're in midway in our organization where you see yourself in five years, and my goodness, they have plans. They have mm -hmm. plans. By the time that they graduate, every single graduation, they're telling us their journey. They're telling us how they see their lives in the next five years. And that's powerful because in less than a year, they have a different trajectory. Well, you tell me, how did that happen? How is it they got a different trajectory? It is, you know, by being so intentional, so deliberate with them, um, mm -hmm. helping them understand that they have a, you know, a life to live. They are capable of thriving and that we are the ones who are going to provide the resource for them to excel. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's amazing to me. And how long is the program? Is it 
So the entire program is four months and a half. Uh, so it's a very short wow. with us. Um, yeah. So, you know, we get to coin it and say it's transformational because you tell me how many people in four months and a half could really change. And then, of course, we have our alumni engagement. So we have young people who have been with us, you know, for over two years. Uh, so mm-hmm. we keep them. But we also understood, you know, with our young people and part of the logic of having a four months and a half mo- model is that we wanted for them to experience of immediate success. And then little by little, you know, have like longer term goals with them. It's a lot of our young people, um, you know, as we know, they've never, you know, graduated. Um, and, you yeah. know, because it's, it's like my first graduation, it's like, well, wait a minute, wait until you graduate high school, right? Yeah, so like how, but you're not done yet. <laughs> well, how can we quickly um, have them experience a big win, a substantial win, and then replicate that. You know, so, so let's do it again. Let's do it again. Yeah. Again. No, I think that's amazing because in four and a half months for their lives to be transformed. And, and that's what I love is that mm-hmm. in those four months, all you're doing is giving them a space to belong, a space mm-hmm. for learning and a space for powerful conversation Yeah, and how much it can change a person. Right. That's right. And then the beauty oh. is as usual, they're changing us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. So I know we are running out of time, but I wish I can just have this conversation with you for hours and hours <laughs> because I feel like we can have a whole cafecito just like talking about all of this and how it goes back to our cultures, our culturas, who we are. It goes back to everything. You know, everything's always so interconnected. And we talked about that because you were like, you're a big yoga fan and you yeah. were learning about. <laughs> Yes. You're reading about our ancestry, right? Our hips, something that's like right. that. That's right. I have one of my yoga teacher who always says, you know, that you have your um, ancestral data um, in your hips. And, you know, when you're doing like certain poses, you know, just pay very, listen, you know, like listen to your body. And I think that, you know, when we look at our lives, there's knowledge is powerful. Knowledge is everywhere. It's not just cerebral, you know, knowledge is also in the body. And then we get to see, you know, also how trauma impacts the body as well. You know, how we get sick because of consistent trauma. Um, And a lot of times, you know, we don't understand, or a lot of us don't know that our families that were always paying attention to the body, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not new, you know, it's cuidado del cuerpo, El cuidado, you know, de la alma, you know, it's like all these things that now we spend like so much money, you know, to learn. Well, that wisdom was there. However, somehow we were stripped from it. Um, somehow we were not given, you know, uh, a lot of uh, historical information. And when, when I get to see, you know, this uh, country in which we're in, um, we get to experience each other, like even in, um, you know, Latinos in restaurants, you know, like we don't mm-hmm. have this space or typically, you know, where I could find you, you know, or at least it's like, it's, it's not that easy to find you. Um, it's probably not that easy to find me in New York City, although we're here. And that is why it is important that we keep making spaces that our voices are heard, that we're known that we're here because we want for everyone to have a thriving um, life, especially our teenagers who right now, all of them, court involved or not court involved, are probably are thinking about their future in a very different way. And it would be great to hear, you know, what are they thinking? 
and since they are charged with helping us evolve um, in the next few years. And that is exciting. And I think that it would be, you know, so lovely, you know, for many young people to hear you, to hear your podcast, uh, to hear your series and to hear how you were inspired. Because once again, you were listening. Uh, and I remember how you share the story, like someone was sharing knowledge and you had this moment of, uh, I call it like a, a revelation. Epiphany. Right, <laughs> epiphany. It's like, I want to learn more. You went to your family, to your parents. And it's not that you realize, it's that you had a moment to sit and that they began to impart that wisdom and knowledge. And then, of course, that's true about all of us. Yeah, it's so it's so deep in us. And I think like it's going back to tapping into the things that are so part of our DNA, that are so mm-hmm. in our blood, right? mm-hmm. even the spirituality that our, our cultures have and mm-hmm. and the way that we like do things like remedies and like mm-hmm. we're going to try to make it at home. And like, oh, me, you know, my mom is all about that. I would leave them and say, ¿Cómo esto? and like. And that's what I love sometimes, just that our, our, the answers are sometimes so in us, but we're in a world that operates so differently and we try so hard to fit into that world mm-hmm. instead of bringing our uniqueness into it. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. Sometimes we like spend so much money trying to like get the spirituality and learn about ourselves, but it's like, I can just go to my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And I could go to my mom. Or like even like I think about a lot of times uh, like food and recipe that we no longer have um, oh, yeah. that, like, that now we think it's like oh my goodness how do you do this like why why didn't we take notes on how to make certain meals and or mm. you know, why someone in the family didn't create a cookbook but we believe that we will always have that but somebody was not picking up the skills right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, I tell my mom all that all the time. I'm like, not for me, but for like our whole family and generations to come, you just got to write your whole cookbook mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. nunca va a faltar comida en la mesa. Like that's one yeah. thing I know for sure. <laughs> oh God, it's delicious. It's delicious. Right? Yes. Our foods are so good. All of them. Mm-hmm. And I like, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to do these podcasts, to have these conversations because you're right. Latinos are very different. Puerto Rico has a different life than Hondureños. And even going into, into like, for example, Honduras, it has Garifuna, you know, it's a very different culture mm-hmm. within Honduras or even, you know, my family are from Costa Norte, close to El Caribe, mm-hmm. but it's very different from someone from the capital in Tegus. So we're so diverse and we bring so much diversity, but hearing these conversations and from what I've heard from people listening, they always say, I, I realize there's so many connections still. There's so many things that still tie us together as Latinos. Oh, yes. And that's the beautiful part. It's mm-hmm. owning who we are, where we come from, our countries, but also realizing we're all kind of like so similar. And we are. And, and we are. We totally are. So I think we can end on that note. But I want to do one quick thing. Tell us how people can connect with Exalt Youth. How can they volunteer how can they you know refer any people to to be a part of it or how can they connect with you that's a that's a great question and since we are on a podcast you know i would say to everyone on our website exaltyouth.org it's the full word in exalt e-x-a-l-t youth.org and the way that people can you know contribute one is understanding the challenges and the issues the other one is if anyone would ever like to host a young person 
and be a mentor and act as a supervisor during the internship component. That's a great way um, for anyone who's interested in supporting um, a class, you know, financially, that's another way, uh, you know, but there are you know, very specific ways that you can support the organization. Right now, we're all during the COVID, um, you know, virtual model, we have our virtual internship platform. So if anyone is interested in, you know, helping us, you know, think through this um, internship virtual model, we have a template. You know, you can host a young person for um, four weeks if you have that or for one week and literally begin to introduce them to your career, your profession. Um, And I would say that that young person is going to inspire you in the same way that you're going to leave so much, you know, for that young person. So please check us out. And thank you for that question. So Giselle, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The last thing that we do on this show is we close with the brindis, with our cafecito, of course. Um, But we close with the virtual cheers and we're going to try to manifest. Now we're going to try. We're going to, we're going to manifest some good for our Latino community. So what do you want to cheers to and what do you want to manifest? Good health. I, I would say, you know, good health to all of us. And the other, you know, big, big, big one, it's what we have been talking about. Enjoy life and to having your purpose fulfilled. Um, and that is it. You know, it goes under that premise to living, to humanizing all of us. Cheers. Salud. Cheers. Muchísimas gracias for tuning into today's episode with Giselle Castro. There are so many ways to get involved with Exalt Youth, but right now they're having an online campaign and efforts to keep justice moving during COVID. Join their efforts and donate what you can. Visit exaltyouth.org slash keepjusticemoving and find more opportunities to sponsor and support. Let's keep investing in our young people, y'all. Remember to tune in next week for more cafecito and cheesement and more hell Latino love. Follow me on Twitter at Oladis Jasmine, Instagram at Ojasmine with four A's, and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña.